And thank you very, very much for what you do and the opportunity we have to serve and partner with you. Speaking of partners, I'll be really honest with you now that she's in here. There's no way on God's green earth I would have ever made it in 40 years of ministry without this unbelievable life partner God has entrusted into me. She has loved me, believed in me, encouraged me, challenged me, stretched me, and walked with me every single step of the way. So thank you very much. How many of you make or have made this year New Year's resolutions? Not a whole lot of us anymore. How long do you think they normally last? A week, two weeks? Survey I read a number of years ago said 17 days. Today's the 14th of January. Hold on for four more days, you'll beat the average. Normally, they're around four to six weeks. Usually by the middle of February, they're done, you're over, it's gone. What do you think of the top few, or at least the top two, New Year's resolutions most people make? What is it? Lose weight. Get in better shape, some of those kind of things. Something happened, I'm not sure what it was, and baby, you need to check this when we get home. Something happened to our bathroom scale over Christmas. I'm not sure what, but I'm just telling you, it's off. And I should have got off when I saw the number. So I get all of that. Most people do that. They're always usually around the stay fit and healthy, lose weight. I love this when it said, 60% of the people surveyed said, we will not make any more resolutions anymore. I love a good friend of mine on January 1 called Planet Fitness to cancel. I thought, okay, that's a lot of courage to be able to do that. Usually they do revolve around getting in better shape, stop doing certain things, start doing other things. And those are fine. A lot of us, if we're really honest with our lives, there are things we need to stop doing. There are things we need to start doing. The Apostle Paul had a lot to say about life and his journey. Some of it you saw in that video clip this morning. One of my favorite, I'm going to share with you today a couple of them, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Makes sense. But only one gets the prize. So, run in such a way to get the prize. Which is fine. Give it all you've got. You do need to know that only one gets it, so give it everything you have. Everyone who competes in a game goes into strict training. All of that's great as well. They do it to get a crown, though, that will not last. We do what we do in following Christ for a crown that will last forever. Now, in light of all of that, I don't run aimlessly, he said. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that when I preach to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the race. Paul is saying, look, folks, give it all you've got. But make sure, as you do, you're going after the right things. Look at what he says to a young preacher named Timothy. Timothy, I want you to know physical training has value. There's nothing wrong with physical training. It has some value. But godliness has value for all things. Holding promise both for this present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially for those of us who believe. Physical training is fine. Keeping your body in shape is fine. 
Doing everything you can to make sure you preserve, I'll say in a minute, what God has entrusted into your care. He just wants to make sure we know and clearly understand that we've got our priorities right. We've got them all lined up right. We're doing the right things for the right reason, going after the ultimate right goal. What if I took all the resolutions that most people give, what if I took all of your resolutions and narrowed them down to one, knowing that out of that one, everything else will flow? What if this year, your and my number one goal was to deepen our walk with God and take Him seriously at His word for myself or for my family? What if my number one goal this year in 2018 was to take God seriously at His word, which would infer that I'm in it, for myself and for my family, and to apply it as I continue to process it? This is a great follow-up for those who were baptized last Sunday morning. They committed their lives to Jesus. Some of them had done it recently, some a little longer than that. But they committed their lives to Jesus. And one of the questions that I'm always asked after I commit my life to Christ, what do I do next? One of the things that I need to do, what do I do to make sure that I stay on this track that God now has me on? And the classic answer that I've given for over 40 years is spend time with God and be in His Word. That hasn't changed. Those are the best things you can do. Spend time with God and stay in His Word because out of that, everything else will flow. One verse that you and I can embrace for this year that if we really honestly do can change everything. Jesus gave it to us at the beginning of His ministry when He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everything else lines up underneath that. All these things will be given to you as well. All the things you wonder about, worry about. Keith is going to talk about that next Sunday morning. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else then flows from that. If you had that, if I had that as my number one goal in everything in my life, is that I really honestly sought God first in every area of my life, then I would know that I'm doing my absolute best to run this race with clarity, with confidence, knowing at the end of it all, I will get the prize that he promised for me. Because I clearly understood Priorities that God wanted me to seek. What would happen if we really honestly did spend time in the Word of God, spend time with Him in prayer, and seriously, totally took Him at His Word? What difference do you think it would make? Let me give you some examples. What if you really honestly did believe that your body was a temple of the Holy Spirit? When you become a follower of Christ, it is not ours to do with what we want. We have been bought with a price. What if I really honestly believe that? Do you not know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is now in you when you've received from God, when you receive Christ as Savior, He comes to dwell in us. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. Therefore, or in light of all of that, honor God with your bodies. As believers, if I really did believe that and live like it, what difference would it make? Well, let me give you some obvious. I would take care of it. I would do my best to make sure that I didn't abuse it, that I didn't do things that would abuse it, that I would make sure that my sexuality was pure as God would have me to be. I wouldn't, if I really honestly believed that my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't sleep around. If I really did honestly believe that my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit when I'm a follower of Christ regarding the sanctity of life Sunday that's coming up next weekend, I really would then clearly understand that my body isn't my own to do with what I want. It is His. 
And so because of that, I need to honor it. So if I clearly understood that I sought him first, everything else comes underneath that, and I took him at his word, and I really did believe that my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit, I would manage it well. I would do with it what I know would please him. If I resolve to seek first the kingdom of God, then I need to make sure that all of my priorities are coming underneath that. That every day I spend time with him and his word, and I do that within the context of my family relationships. Then coming to church and spending time with God would become a priority for me and my family. Now, I think you know and I both know that sports and Sunday tournaments and all of those things do take a precedent over church for many families. I saw complex, I've seen it a number of times now, but no off-season. And I want, oh, please, give them an off-season at some point. Now, I realize that for some folks, my challenge here is like spitting in the wind. But the Word of God clearly states that our job as parents is to train up a child in the way he should go. That we are to love God with every fiber of our being, with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And he goes on to say, impress them on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you go up. Our children's ministry talks about that all the time. You have a huge opportunity to spend time with your children. Riding to and and from activities, riding to and from school, going to the next event, whatever that may be, to talk to them about what they're learning, what they're facing, what challenges do they have. How can I pray for one another? Spending one meal together half a dozen times four or five times a week the most enjoyable time we've ever had raising kids especially raising daughters is to have that time around the meal table we only had one a day to be able to find out what God's doing in their life and be able to have some fun and laughter and all those kind of things that go with that you and I have the opportunity to invest in the next generation that God has entrusted into our care. And if I really do understand that that's one of my highest priorities, then I'll make sure that I put that as the number one priority in our life and not everything else. Believe it or not, in our children's department, one of the teachers sent us an email the other day that said, you need to know our kids are bombarded with all kinds of ideas that really don't have a biblical foundation. He said, let me give you some examples from a recent third graders. More than one mentioned reincarnation. One said they were sure that the sun would burn out, so eternal life is impossible. One asked, what what were you in the past life? Is it okay, or it probably is okay, as long as you don't get caught? One said Jesus rose on Easter, and then three days later died again. The Bible really doesn't say that you can't. The list is endless. If indeed we... Spend time prioritizing our relationship with our children and investing into them what we understand from the Word of God. And we do that as one of our number one priorities. They're going to clearly understand that some of the things they're hearing from other contexts don't really come and coincide with what we help them understand that comes from the Word of God. What if the spiritual development of our children were as important, if not more important, than their academic and athletic development? What impact do you think that would have on us as a family? If I understand Scripture clearly, then I understand that God owns everything and I'm a steward for what He entrusts into my care. Then I realize that my spending decisions become spiritual decisions and that my giving is a spiritual decision. What I give to the church, how I invest in the ministries of the church, how I invest in other ministries, what I do with the resources that God has entrusted into my care. 
Each one of you should give as he decided in your own heart because God loves a cheerful giver who clearly understands that what they have been given is not their own. It's been entrusted into their care. And what we do with it is a spiritual decision. Jesus talked more about giving than on prayer. See, that's the beauty of God's word. It gives us so much guidance and advice and direction in every single area of our life. 80 to 85% of us will be married at one time or the other. Don't you think we ought to have some good instructions that share with us how to live the married life God has called us to? He does. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 3. The list is endless. Corinthians, a half a dozen books are assigned to some of the things we understand about our sexuality, our humanness, and our relationship with our mate. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Respect your husband. All of those things that we sometimes take for granted. Did a wedding yesterday over at Shakespeare. I've never been a, done a wedding there before. Matter of fact, I had to go around three different routes because of the flood and the waters and all of those kind of things. And I, I looked at this couple and I said what I always say. You just agreed to, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. You have no idea what you just agreed to. And most of the audience laughed like you did. Because they knew that's an honest question. That's an honest statement. They agreed to all of that. They just don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And when you have the opportunity to be in the Word of God to find out how to do it, how to make sure that you have a marriage and a relationship that lasts forever, that you're constantly looking to the Word of God for advice and direction, then you know you're not out there trying to figure it out on your own. How do I use the gifts that God has given me? Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12. What does love really look like? Beat around and cast around. February the 14th, we have all kinds of statements about what love looks like. God says, let me just show you what it looks like. That. Let me describe it a little bit more. Not proud, not arrogant, doesn't push its own way. It cares more about others than it cares about itself. Doesn't keep score. It rejoices in the truth. It builds up instead of pulls down. If I really want to know what love looks like, I either go to Hallmark go to the guy in the locker room next to me, kids in third grade, or I go to the Word of God and say, what does it look like? How can I best emulate that? How can I best live it out? I could go on the rest of the morning, but everybody else took my time today. <laughs> Isn't it awesome that God, for all of us, gave us wisdom and direction for every single area of our life? Everything that I'm sharing here with you this morning is not in an effort to beat you up and make you feel like you'll never be able to accomplish it. Everything I'm saying to you this morning is how amazing is God to do that for us, to help us clearly understand how to make sure that our priorities in line, because I'm trying to figure that out. I want to know what's really important in the end of it all, when it's all said and done. I want to know what's really important. God says, I'll give you some advice. Matter of fact, I'll give you books and books and chapters and chapters of advice. Take advantage of it. Connie and I had the opportunity to, uh, and I had the opportunity to preach at our favorite uncle's funeral on Thursday. One of the most amazing men I've ever met reminded me of Caleb. And so I began to look at some research and back thoughts about Caleb because Lau at 80-some years old is going, what's the next challenge? Where do I go next? And it's exactly what Caleb did at 85. He's not as well known as Joshua and Moses and some of the Old Testament characters. 
But what's intriguing about Caleb is when he's described later in Joshua, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God sums his life up with this statement five times. And when something is repeated that many times in Scripture, probably pretty important. It said he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I thought, okay, I'd love to be known for that. I'd love to be known by that. He, she, follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Which infers, I know him. I listen to him. I'm spending time with him. And I'm receiving from him what he tells me to do. Over the last couple of weeks, I ordered a couple of books at Christmas, and I had the opportunity to read one called The Last Arrow. It's by Erwin McManus. The book wasn't exactly what I thought it was, but what I loved was the premise of it all. He found out he had cancer. He wanted to make sure that in the ministry life that God has called him to in Mosaic in California, I made sure that I gave it my all, that no arrows were left in the quiver, that I just unpacked and left off the table nothing. And that I gave my life to everything that God called me to. So when it's all said and done, I know there aren't more arrows in the quiver and I can release it and do it. I love that premise and that idea behind that. Because every single one of us, I got to believe, in the end of it all, want to make sure that we've done our absolute best to make sure that we've used all the resources, managed them well, take care of what God has entrusted into our care. And when we stand before him face to face, we'll know we did our absolute best. In Malachi chapter 3, the people of God ask a fascinating question. Actually, to be honest with you, it's a pretty brave question. They ask this question, is it really worth it all? I mean, is it really worth it all in obeying all your commands? Being able to make sure that we... Keep all your requirements. Very similar to Psalm 37. What I love about God, one of the thousand things I love about God is he doesn't zap them right in the spot. He simply just says, says this. You need to understand that you're taking a very short view of life when you ask that question. But if you take a much longer view of life, and an eternal view of life, you will clearly know it will be worth it all. You and I have a decision to make. We all do. Do I take a short view of life? What do I get today? What do I get tomorrow? What do I get this week? What do I get this year? What is it going to be like? Or do I take the long view of life and I realize that God has entrusted whatever time I get whether it be 37 or 97, like, wow, whatever time I get, I want to make sure there's all the arrows are out of the quiver. I've done my best to bring him glory. I've lived the life he's called me to. I've done responsibly with what he's given me. And I recognize that if I seek him first and his righteousness, everything else is going to fall in line underneath that. He gave his all. Everything. What you're about to hold in your hands in a moment is a representative of that. Matter of fact, Jesus, if he were here today, said, I, I don't know that I can give you any more than this. I've given you my life and my blood. I've given you my all. I'd love for you to follow me because I'm telling you, it is 
worth it all. Father, every single one of us have pressures and demands and things in our life that press us and come against us and we try to figure out how to sort it all out, what to do with it and how to manage our time and our family and our resources and our energy and all of those kind of things well. So God, as you continue to challenge us with your word and as we continue to unpack it through this year and really look at some powerful, powerful truths, help us to passionately want to be in it and learn from it promised us you'd never leave us you'd never forsake us you'd be with us even in the valley of the shadow of death so you're going to walk with us in this journey and we my hope is that all of us decide that we're going to walk with you with everything we have this coming year in the name of jesus i pray if you're new to cac the only requirement to take of communion is that you know christ is your savior You've invited him into your life, and you know that that's taken place. You will also notice that everything is in one tray, the bread in the middle, the cups on the outside. And you simply help the person beside you or near you to share it, hold on to it for a moment, and then I'm going to lead you in partaking of it, and then Dave and Pam are going to sing a perfect song to end this set up. Gentlemen, if you'll come. <laughs>